Welcome to this week's episode of Unfortunately Required Reading. Today we're reading Dante's Inferno, or as we're calling it, Abandon All Hope, Ye Who Listen Here. I mean, I think that our listeners have some hope. I mean, all I can think of is Clint from uh, the Hawkeye guy going, don't do that, don't give me hope. I think I hate you now. Mark and I scream that at each other all the time, at work. Oh. That's probably... Anyway. That's that's concerning. (laughs) That's deeply concerning. When your day job comes along. Anyway. Um, So just because there's a lot of torture, some of which involves babies, we're going to give you a little bit of a trigger warning this episode. Yeah, we're also going to be talking about like some not-so-nice things like murder and suicide and just some general grossness. Uh, I'm kind of hot and cold on trigger warnings. I think that they're not an excuse to ignore, like, the not-so-pleasant parts of existence, but at the same time, if you are particularly sensitive to this kind of thing. Or, as, like, a Stuff You Missed in History class, the podcast that I hope that we one day grow up to be, uh, mm. they talk a lot about, like, you know, not suitable for young listeners. Yes. I don't think we have any young listeners, but, like, you know, if you're in the car... And you've got your you know, four-year-old who repeats everything back. Right, like, this might not be the episode that you'd wish to endeavor that upon. I mean, because I can just see your, like, five-year-old telling everybody about the suicide forest. This is why I didn't talk to my stepkid about this. But, anyway. So, uh, we're drinking Chianti because Tori told me to. And, um, Amanda's not very, very happy about it. I don't like dry and I don't like red. I mean, the whole point is we're drinking wine because wine was cleaner than water. We could have gotten literally any other red. I mean, we could have. Like, you are you are burying the lead. What Tori wanted was a raffia covered bottle. She didn't care about it being Chianti. She wanted the Lady in the Tramp candle bottle. I wanted to have this on my table for two reasons: one, so I could pretend that we're a low grade Italian restaurant; two. So I can pretend that I have fava beans and make the <laughs> noise whenever I feel like. Okay, well, Dr. Lecter would not be drinking a Chianti of No, and he'd also probably pronounce it correctly. But anyway. That's not wrong. I know, but he, he says it wrong in the movie on purpose. Yeah. Chianti. Chianti is not wrong. Like, that's the thing. It's fine. Uh, we have two cheeses on the board because this is what happens when I have to buy liquor as I compensate with cheese. <laughs> uh, we have a Taleggio, which you can think of Taleggio as Italian brie. And we do have a uh, two-year-old Parmigiano-Reggiano, which is vegetarian but not vegan. Really? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that makes sense because there's no, there's milk in it, right? But also, uh, the fermentation process is kicked off by animal rennet, which you get from the lining of stomachs. Well, that's tasty. It's delicious. You can get vegetable rennet from things like milkweed and stuff, but the sheep's rennet's the best. I don't think the sheep agrees. Mm, it's already dead. Well, they aren't like torturing live sheep to collect its lining from stomach. Are they then giving us the stomach to use to make haggis? Because we as your people probably not. My people. They're Italian. So uh, I actually really like haggis, and that's been a weird point of contention with my husband. Because it is an abomination unto the Lord. I mean. The Scottish people were doing the best they could with what they were given from the nobles, so. I mean, okay, I suppose, like, for African-Americans, we have chitlins, which was us, you know, doing what we could with the stuff that slave masters gave us. So I can respectfully understand where that's coming from while also thinking, please, Lord, never. I mean, that's fair. 
So get out your bingo cards. Yeah, we do have a bingo card that is uh, widely available and that I spent a lot of time making. And it's really fun. And when I edit episodes, I do bingo with myself. Do <laughs> Which sounds like a masturbation reference, so that, that sounds That does weird. sound a little bit masturbatory, not just in like the ego sense, but in the like was I accurate with our with our with our points? Oh my god, Did I? so dead on. <laughs> I read them out loud to my husband and he just kept going. Yeah, nope, that's that's right. That, that's right. That's I'm every episode. I think one day, maybe for like the one year anniversary, we should actually have like a giveaway with the bingo card. That would be cool. Because we do have our one year coming up. I know. It's not that far away we're in august it's in november yeah which is weird yeah been doing this for a year yeah okay we haven't killed each other yet so this episode's going to be a little bit different in Mm -hmm. the fact that if we just went through and did the short story along the way we normally do you miss a lot of stuff there's a lot of historical information Mm -hmm. so amanda's going to focus on the history i'm going to focus on what's going on in the book Mm -hmm. well the poem epic poem Mm -hmm. beautiful epic poem um, what is it? Terror Rosina or whatever is the style that he created himself. Yes. Um, Dante did. Anyway, we'll kind of do a little bit of the history of Dante at the end, mm-hmm. just because, but, uh, just to give you a full picture of it all. Yes. I know you guys can't see my hand gestures, so. I'm watching her gesture because it takes away from the pain of this wine. Okay. <laughs> You're just going to pour it in my glass like halfway through and I'm going to be like, oh, but anyway. So that's, that's Greek. I know, I know. I've been learning Russian too, so I can just be like "Привет" and "Welcome to." Um, I only know that because of a drag queen. Really? Yes. Which one? Katya Zamolochkova. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. She actually speaks real Russian. I want to be friends with Katya now. She's coming to San Antonio. When are we going? <laughs> when are we going? <laughs> when are we going? Anyway, <laughs> September seventh. September seventh. Okay, I'm gonna look it up. Yeah. Check my calendar, make sure I don't have a meeting that night. I have a lot of meetings. Anyway, so I was going to break this down by contos, and then I, which is how they're like kind of like the chapters in this. A stanza. Then I realized that the podcast would literally be several hours. So this is what we did instead. Yeah, um, we discussed this a lot before recording, and we decided to break this down. Think of us like a shittier version of Virgil. I mean, I'm not. He's a pretty good tour guide. We're not going to be as good. Like, I'm trying to set the bar like an appropriate level. I just had this image of me wearing a sash that says "A shittier Virgil." Yeah, like, and I'm just like, I don't know. At that point, it's like Jafar and Iago. I'm just hanging out. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying to imagine you as a loudmouth parrot, and I kind of can see it. And I'm I already am. Like, what do you mean trying to? That's already what I am on this show <laughs> as a loudmouth parrot. Um, so we are going to do our best to go through this. Uh, it's a lot. Yes. There's a reason why we're only doing Inferno, because before any of you get out your little comments, oh, well, it's technically the divine comedy. There's other parts. We don't have time. <laughs> yeah. we, we have lives. We do? Uh, well, okay. I kind of have a life. But you can uh, read Paradiso and Purgatorio on yeah. your own. And, tell and they're us- both very boring. Dante's writing style, but we'll we'll go into that. So, starting off with the book. Yes. It's just before Good Friday, and Dante, our 35-year-old narrator, yes, because he put himself in the book, is totally lost in dark woods, 
and cannot find his way to this mountain, a.k.a. his path to salvation. Mm -hmm. So he climbs a small mountain and finds that he's surrounded by a leopard, a lion, and a she-wolf, and they will not let him go on. Yes. The sun is starting to come up, and he's rescued by his hero, the poet Virgil. This is the ultimate fan fiction. I was about to say, before we get lost too deeply in this woods, this is a male power fantasy fan fiction I've ever seen one. Uh, Over the summer, I did an entire panel about the Mary Sue trope. And, like, Dante is literally, like, the, the male version of the Jerry Stew. Like, this is just it. I've never heard Jerry Stew before. That makes me really happy. Jerry Stew is a thing. I need to go back and listen to your... Oh, thank you. Thing. Yeah, I but, like, like it. it's, it's just a... It's a male insert power fantasy, and it's... It's <laughs> funny that we give him this much credit for what this is. It's kind of like when I was in 10th grade and I wrote Buffy fan fiction, where I was, like, Angel's girlfriend. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so... Why does that not shock? I, oh God, I, I have the notebook somewhere. It's embarrassing. That's fair. So it's now suddenly Good Friday evening and Dante is freaked the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Virgil tells them, don't panic. I was sent here by Beatrice, a symbol of divine love. Mm-hmm. Beatrice was basically the girl that Dante met twice in his life and was totally in love with. But like, that was not mutual. No. So evidently, the Virgin Mary and St. Lucia, both or Lucia, depending, both told her it was fine and that he totally was going to need some help to go on an epic journey so Virgil and Dante can totally go to the underworld. Yes. So Dante and Virgil get to a gate and it says, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here, which is possibly the most famous line in poetry. Yeah, it's Com- definitely is. It's coupled with screams of agony and this totally looks like a great place to go on a vacation, right? Yep. So this anti-inferno, they're not even in the gates yet. This is where the, quote, uncommitted, end quote, people who couldn't choose a site for good or evil end up. So there's Mm -hmm. probably a lot of Slytherins in here. Uh, This is where rebel angels who didn't take sides ended up. Also, Pope Celestine V. Celestine V was a holy man who lived in the mountains. He ended up getting elected as Pope to try and keep two warring families from getting the Pope rights. But he ended up freaking out, stepping down because of uh, another Pope, which we'll go into in a little bit. And then Dante was really mad about that. Oh, we get to talk about anti-Popes, don't we? Yes, we do. Hooray. Uh, People here are stuck in permanent chit-chat, which sounds even more horrible to me than those getting the time worth them also getting stung by wasps, hornets, getting eaten on by maggots, and being covered in blood and pus. It's the permanent chit-chat. That is my idea of hell. Uh, Yeah, it, it is sort of a Sartrean sort of hell as other people. Mm-hmm. you're welcome it's just like when you go to church and you're like okay i'm done and then you're going to leave and everybody wants to talk to you and you're like i don't want to talk to any of you let me just go home and day drink laughs and catholic <laughs> pretty much after you receive the eucharist it's a rush to leave most people they get the eucharist because that's like the one thing like we can't do at home <laughs> we're not we all have a tabernacle just hanging out. So, like, we do the one thing that we can't get at home, and then we go watch Mother Angelica do the rest of it. Sister Angelica, forgive me. Lutherans were like, oh, yeah, we're kind of here. We're going to go have some gefil- not gefilte fish, but whatever the fish is from Sweden or whatever. We've talked about it on here before. Lutefisk? Lutefisk, yes. Lots of lutefisk. I'd say gefilte fish is uh, Jewish. Yes. I, my brain's not working today. Also, lots Keontae. of jello. For some reason, we have a lot of dishes that are based in jello. I don't know if it's a German thing or what. Um, anyway. So you also said that this is 
a reference to Gnosticism as well? Yeah, so in Beatrice appearing, because she's more than just a, a girl who blue-balled Dante, uh, she could be a reference. Where is lie? Donde este lie? No, that was beautiful. Thank you. Uh, she could be a reference to Sophia, who in the Gnostic tradition was the goddess of like pure wisdom. Uh, and she like ruined everything. I don't have time to talk fully about Gnosticism because realistically, here's your bingo card. That is a whole other podcast. Legitimately. Like Gnosticism on its own can be a whole other podcast. Suffice it to say that Gnosticism has this like weird inversion of like the heavenly virtues and they're supposed to like just chill and be on God's side. But Sophia gets bored. It's like, I'm going to make like a kind of proto human and he's bad. And then he becomes, like, a semi-Satan, and then we get, like, actual Satan, and then we get people. Like, it's a lot, and I don't have time to go into it fully, but it's, like, in, in the Dante discourse, because it's a thing. We aren't sponsored by them, but if you do great courses, especially if you can get it for free from your library, like you can in San Antonio, Ooh. go to Bibliotech. Um, they have a whole class on Gnosticism. Right. And it is long. It's several episodes. Um but yeah. Or if I'm allowed to plug a podcast that isn't ours, uh, the stuff they don't want you to know. You are always welcome to plug, plug a podcast that's not ours. Yeah. Uh, they're like the conspiracy sisters of the stuff you miss in history class. They do an episode on Gnosticism. It's kind of condensed and rushed, and I definitely wish that they went more into it. But if you want like a shallow dive before you go on a deep dive, before you want to commit, you know, you want to be like friends with benefits with Gnosticism. Oh my god. Yes. Okay. No, it's perfect. If you want to see if you're DTF with Gnosticism, then like I'd say do that episode. And then like if you're curious about it more, then do like a great courses. Because if you just go in dry with the Gnosticism, oh, it's... you're gonna end up like with your eyes bleeding and just like it's gonna be crazy. And then it's gonna be three in the morning and you're listening to it going, Have I been believing the wrong thing? Was I, I worry that was what was going to happen with you and the Apocrypha. Yeah. Well, I got into the, uh... Lucky, luckily, it was just mostly boring, apparently. Yes. Yes. I didn't finish it. That's fine. On to, uh, okay. away from the holy, unholy waiting room? Yes. So, basically, his whole thing is not taking sides is just as bad as taking the wrong side. Yeah. I mean, realistically, look at what period of history that we're in, is that that is true. Being a coward, uh, not having the fortitude to pick a side is just as bad. And also, in Christian thought... Uh, the people who were air quotes neutral against Jesus were just as heavily criticized as those that nailed him to the hecking cross. Mm -hmm. So they get through all this blood and pus, go actually through the gates, and they get to Ch Charon. Charon? Charon? Charon! There we go. Sharon! No, Karen. Karen. <laughs> they meet Karen. Oh, I should know that because I took a class on this, but here we are. All right. And he is not pleased to see Dante at all. He basically tells him to get the fuck out because he's alive. And Virgil's like, no, 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 no. See, we got divine providence. We're good. You can let us do this. And all around them, people are wailing and crying. And so Dante passes the fuck out. Yeah, as because you do. Dante's a wuss, but that's a whole other thing. Okay, I'm gonna... This is an anime reference that you're not gonna get, but, like, I'm gonna Shinji Ikari advocate for this. If you were in this scenario, you cannot promise that you would handle this better than Dante would. So I'd probably just have a full-on panic attack. Right, like, I would probably just, like, leap from, like, a height. I'd be like, nope, out. Right. So it is the same. Karen? Yes. Okay. Is the ferryman to the land of the dead for mythology? Yes, it is. So he uses a lot of mythology. Yes, he does. Uh, because you would be well versed in that during that time. Mm -hmm. 
or if you're like me where you were nearly a classics major, uh, this stuff is like a weird, perverse second language to you. Also, he's probably not just upset because Dante's alive. Yeah, so I have a note here that he's also probably said that he's not getting paid. Uh, a big part of, like, a Greco-Roman funeral rites was leaving a coin, usually, like, on the eyes or on the tongue of the deceased, uh, so they can pay the ferryman. Also, so it's not likely to get stolen uh, during the whole burial rite, because, like, if you just leave, like, on the hand or something, someone can take that. But you leave a coin so you can pay the ferryman for his services. And if he's not getting paid, well, then, like, he's not going to do it. Like, that becomes a whole thing with, like, the... It just becomes, like, a thing with every myth where you go to the underworld, basically. Because, like, pay him. Pay the ferryman. I mean, I think I would be pissed, too, if I wasn't making equal money like I was supposed to be. Oh! oh now it's topical, because I am pissed that I'm not. <laughs> also, it is still in my will that someone is to bury me with a coin. Fantastic. Yeah, I have a lot of, like, non-Christian things that are in my will that are to happen to my body, because, fun fact, I am superstitious, and I don't want to upset the wrong thing. Well, as long as you don't have in your thing, like, what they had to do with assassins in Italy when they were killed, is burying them upside down so that they were focused towards hell. No, I don't have that in. Let's not do that. I do request a heart scarab, though. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. My will is a complicated thing. The heart scarab, wasn't it, like, a protective thing in ancient Egypt? Yeah. Yeah. It's a protective thing in ancient Egypt. I want my coin, and then I want my chrysanthemum because, uh, Yakuza. Moving forward. Moving forward. So Dante wakes up once they've crossed the Archeron into hell. Um, I love the hiss when you had to drink the wine. <laughs> I feel like a child. I feel like, I mean, this might be, like, uniquely Southern. But like, when you give, like, kids, like, a little sip of, like, whatever you're drinking. And it's, like, it, it's a good deterrent to never make kids want alcohol. Yes. It's, like, I feel like a child. So as they cross over, they come across unbaptized babies and virtuous pagans. Yes. Which, this is kind of the, the fun area. I mean, as far as, if hell could be fun, this is basically it. I, I'm not interested in the babies part, but okay. So basically, these people didn't do anything wrong, but mm -hmm. they didn't have the ability to accept Christ. Mm -hmm. So they get to chill out in this part of hell. Right. Um, Dante ends up asking if anyone's ever gotten out of limbo. And Virgil says one time Jesus showed up and took Adam, Abel, Noah, Moses, Abraham, David, and Rachel into heaven. And mm -hmm. it's called the harrowing of hell. Yes. So Dante is actually super stoked about this circle because he gets to meet a bunch of his heroes. Yes. And he's like, yeah, no, it's totally cool. I'm going to stay here forever. And it's like, no, 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 no. We're moving on. Again, male power fantasy. I'm going to hang out in this waiting room with uh, all these guys that I think are cool. Yes. Um, they end up encountering Minos, who is a snake creature. And he's super excited to see Dante because he thinks he gets to dish out ultimate punishment. Yeah. So his whole thing is he usually wraps his tail around people to figure out what circle they go into. Yes. And Virgil tells him to get the fuck away from Dante and stop being weird. Yes. Because he's still alive. He's not being punished. Right. And Minos was actually a king of Crete in Greek mythology. Yes. He's also how we get Minotaur. The mighty Minotaur. Uh, which is a really, really interesting story uh, if you read all of it. Uh, good lord, the Greeks had things with bulls and weird mazes. Yes. There's also a very, very interesting accretion uh, rite that involves uh, slaughtering a bull over, like, a slatted uh, platform and letting this person who's about to enter a cult uh, bathe in the warm blood of the bull. I mean, this I, is just facts that I know. I'm sorry. No, no, it's fine. I got into a whole thing the other day where I told a lawyer something, and yeah, anyway. Oh, um, I can still beat that when I was casually talking about the brazen bull. How dare you? 
Do I have to explain what that is for the podcast? I would explain it for people who don't know. So the brazen bull or the bronze bull was a torture device uh, created by a Greek inventor that was a large uh, bronze bull that you put a person in and then you like fire underneath it and the person cooks and the screams of that person go through like this weird uh, like pan flute scenario and it just sounds like a bellowing bull. Like It's crazy and like they're like cool little models of it. There's an amazing fictional book called The Library at Mount Char, I think it is, and they use that in it. Yeah. Because all the kids in it are immortal. So basically, well, one of them is. So basically, this is the way for them to torment this one kid and try and bring them back to death and then back out. What kind of horrible Percy Jackson fan fiction is this? It's a fucked up book, but it was really good. I remember just being like, no, I can't, I can't. I'll put it on the, the website. Anyway. So... So we are now into the circle of lust, which is way more fun. Is um, it? No. Okay. <laughs> Those who committed lust sins are being battered about by winds and storms, and they're getting pushed around needlessly, kind of like lust. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because all of the sins basically kind of equate to their punishments. Yeah, it doesn't seem clever to us now, but in the moment it was revolutionary. Yeah. Dante ends up having a conversation with Francesca de Rumini about her affair with her husband's brother. In her defense, her husband was ugly as fuck and he was an asshole. Um, they end up having an affair, Paolo de Rumini and Francesca de Rumini, because they had totally read Lancelot and Guinevere and they're like, no, it's romantic, it's not wrong. And then Dante straight up faints again. A lot of fainting. Lots of fainting. So much fainting. So I know you you had a thing in here about hungry loins. Yeah, so the whole punishment of being battered across the winds is said to be the power of their hungry loins that carried them onto the waves of passion. Like, again, it doesn't sound very original to us, but when you think about lust as a sin, it is very like a, you don't feel like you're in control. Like, it is very much being like pulled almost supernaturally to something that you may be aware is unnatural or perverse or deviant deviant 90% of my friends. Anyway. Including me. So, did I miss it in here? I think you did. Yeah, because the envious are, I think they're either on, they're in between the gluttonous, I believe. It's three. Okay. So, we have the envious that are up next. And their punishment is to hang out in ice baths uh, meant to cool their wandering eyes. Which, I mean, people do this for fun, so... Yeah, like, again, like, it doesn't sound like a very horrible, uh... It's like a horrible punishment to me. I mean, compared to some of the other stuff we get to, it's yeah. like, okay. Um, on to gluttony we go. We do go on to gluttony. There is a super slushy, ice-putrid rain, and it's made of putrefaction. Mm-hmm. Ugh, so, like, rotting bodies and crap. And this is a literal shitstorm, which I was very excited about. Cerberus is there, which yes. is the three-headed dog monster with snake things sticking from his body. That's also in mythology. Yes. He's here, and he occasionally enmauls and flays people, which, you know, like yes, you, do. you do. Virgil gives Cerberus mud to eat, and they end up walking away. Yeah, uh, the mud actually can serve a dual purpose, sort of that it is meant to simply fill the monster's stomach. Uh, but it also could be a reference to uh, Franciscan monks have this uh, tradition of deadening the taste of food with ash. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi did that famously, where he would sprinkle ash on food that he was given because he didn't want to enjoy it too much, because food is a utility, not something that you want him to enjoy. 
this reminds me way too much of that what was that show called it was on like tlc or something where the people my strange addiction yes the lady was eating her husband's ashes anyway that's neither here nor there that's a weird thing that i remember learning uh because i was raised catholic and like that's like one of the things i tell you about saint francis and saint francis was a weird dude but he was kind of a cool dude so yeah yeah so they end up in the circle of avarice Mm is where people put giant rocks at each other so it is still kind of like the american stock market i left that joke in also we need we might need to translate avarice as greed yes avarice and greed are the same thing like i i have no issue with it but just in case because most people don't use avarice or avaricious anymore which is really fun to use on people they're like what does that mean anyway one of the books that i own is a book series that's a dictionary of like all the seven deadly sins each sin has their own book and it's the words that are synonymous or attached to the seven deadly sins. So I have envy, I have sloth, and I think I have gluttony. So it's like a cool, like a thesaurus of that sin. Because of course I have that book. I believe that. Of course I have that book. <laughs> so they end up at the River Styx, yeah. uh, which is a swampy cesspool. So it's not cool like the band. Anyway, the rap band cool? I like the band. Anyway. The Wrathful spend eternity here beating the shit out of each other, which I think is fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Sullen are bound in the river Styx, where they choke on mud. So yeah. I don't want to be there, but anyway. Um, Dante sees one of his previous enemies as he's torn into pieces, and he is so excited. Mm-hmm. The gentleman named Filippo Argenti, who was a political enemy of Dante. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I feel bad about the slothful uh, that are in this realm. Because I think in my list of sins, sloth is probably pretty high up there. Uh, I mean, it is. Uh, fun thing about sloth is that it actually used to be two sins. When Gregory the Great made this list, it was Acedia and Tristitia. And then by the time of reform, like they fused it into one, which is just sloth. So it's not just laziness. It's a lack of caring about existence. It's not just oh i want to stay in bed all day it's i wish to one deny my work and also deny my life's purpose so basically on we i mean but like i mean we're we're not at the forest of suicides yet but like very close to that or like malaise really and this is a, a good point to bring up the fact that these are not the seven deadly sins are not a biblical thing not at all thing. they're We'll talk about this more later, but they are a social tool. So what is something that is damaging to society? Not working. There we go. So how do we make not working a really, really bad thing? We say it's a sin and we say you'll go to hell for it. Like that's all of this. What is bad for a social order? People just fucking around. That's bad for social order. People murdering each other. That's bad for social order. All of these things are just bad for social order. Which is why it speaks so much that this, that sloth especially, was two sins. Right. That got fused into one. Uh, if you ever want to learn more about, like, Acedia and Tristitia, it's fascinating. Especially because now, and we're not at the forest of suicides yet, but when we get there, how much of this is probably just depression or mental illness. Mm-hmm. So going from there, Virgil and Dante go to the walls of the city of Dis city contained within the larger region of hell. So Mm kind of like pandemonium in Milton's work. Um, Demons who guard the gates of hell tell Virgil to get lost. Mm -hmm. And then an angelic messenger arrives and forces the gates open. Yep. Um, So you don't mess with God. 
No. So the sixth circle here is where the heretics are. Dante ends up seeing a political rival, Farinata, I believe is how you say it. I could be wrong. You are right. Um, Dante makes the figure of Farinata doomed to continue his obsession with Florentine politics for all eternity. Which is very petty. Like, if you can be obsessed with something, Florentine politics is probably not the area you want to be in unless you're in academia. Yeah, but I mean, also, like, if you're there because of your nonsense with Florentine politics, that's probably not the worst. Yeah. I mean, like, he might actually really like that. I don't know. Yeah, like, Amanda, we're going to doom you to study the history of the Yakuza. Excellent. That is not a hell. I think, so here's the problem. I'm now getting obsessed with the Russian mafia the way you are with the Yakuza. I've been with the Yakuza. Like, that. that is a decade-long yeah. respect and obsession. I'm, I'm working on it. All I can think of is that one comedian who's like, fuck this bitch, this is Russia. Anyway, um, moving on. So, you were saying, too, that the walls of Dis basically getting broken open were... Yeah, um, it's a biblical yeah. reference to the walls of Jericho. Uh, and then also to the whole, like, Jesus coming down and conquering death thing. I don't have time to talk about the whole, like, siege of Jericho. Uh, go watch Ancient Aliens. There you go. They do actually talk about it when they talk about the mana machine. I don't want to watch the mana machine. I'm sorry. I just imagined this machine of pop tarts shooting out not, into the desert. Do you desert. know about the mana machine? No. Now I have to go. Watch okay. The so of aliens. Oh, okay. Uh, Amanda aside, there's another dot on your uh, bingo board. So the mana was the thing that existed in the Bible where uh, when the Israelites were in the oh, desert. I knew that. Okay. Cool. So the mana machine is this hypothesis that. It was actually like a nuclear reactor machine that the Israelites carried with them that was like powered by the Ark of the Covenant and it like dispensed like a Soylent cracker. Dang. Yeah. So like that's the mana machine. Like that's the mana machine hypothesis. Because like we can't believe uh, bread flakes falling from the sky like fish food, but we can believe a nuclear reactor in the desert giving you a, a tasty uh, Soylent wafer. You believe weird things as a human being species. I mean, realistically, I can buy the mana machine in a weird, perverse way. Like, I I toe the line with ancient aliens a lot. I just I just kind of imagine Michael with a food bazooka now, and it's... That's kind of probably what it was. Like a t-shirt cannon, but like a delicious, like, little bread flakes. <laughs> Poof! Bread. <laughs> it's really horrible just because it's like... <laughs> Da, 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 da. Like when you're at yeah. a sports game and right. they're out in the middle of the thing and they're yeah, like, they're the you get a t-shirt, you get mana from heaven, and you get mana from heaven. Right. It's like those uh those guns that you can shoot dollar bills at like dancers for, but like with bread flakes. I, I think that we are in the absolute perfect area to be talking about heretics because of what <laughs> we're doing right now. I mean, I was kind of hoping to just end up staying with the righteous pagans, but here we are. Oh, the heretic land. Okay, so a deep valley brings them into the first part of the seventh circle, where those who are violent to others boil in a river of boiling blood. Yes. Virgil and Dante meet a bunch of centaurs who seem to be having a really good time shooting people with arrows. Dante goes into the forest of suicides, where people who killed themselves are now trees for all eternity. Yeah, they're actually hanging from trees. It's a very grotesque image. It's just, it's a horrific image, and there's a line from it that makes me so sad that I was, um, I am one with no tail to tail. I made a gallows of my own doorway. And, like, that has always been, like, when you talk about lines that stick with you, that's been one that just, like, sticks with me. Because now that we're at the forest of suicides, we get talking again about, like, swap and everything. 
so suicide in every religion and every culture is a bad thing, but for various reasons. Now, this started the trend of really treating suicide as a moral failing. And that informed a faith for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And really, when you look at people with mental illness and that, that didn't help. I wasn't helping anything. And it wasn't until really ever in the West that we started to humanize the factors that make people kill themselves. Because we still struggle with that. When we have like celebrity suicide and stuff like that, all the same gross people who were like, well, how can you commit suicide when you're that rich? Mental illness doesn't know or care. It doesn't. You can be Anthony Bourdain and be famous and go on these amazing trips and still still have those demons destroyed like internally. It's just, and it's, it's frustrating and it's exhausting and that's why you won't get better. Um, Cotton Mather actually though, uh, penned a very, very famous line that said, we should be considerate of the burden that these, uh, fair melancholics, uh, carry with great, uh, strength. And it's just, we have to be concerned about melancholia as a condition, as a way of life. I do think that we need to be more cognizant of the stigma against melancholia. And I think I, this is where I struggle with this book is that this is what informed our society to really hate and vilify suicides. Right. You still can't uh, bury a suicide in a Catholic cemetery to this day in 2019. You can't. And I mean, even in, um, in a lot of cultures in Eastern Europe, they still will do the whole stake to the heart, remove the head. Concerned about vampirism. Yeah, exactly. Worried about vampirism. Yeah, concerned about vampirism. And it's it's frustrating because then, one, it makes it hard to mourn that person. It makes it very, very hard to mourn that individual. And I've lost people close to me to suicide. So it makes it, one, difficult to openly grieve that individual. And then, two, it makes it hard to talk about it moving forward because unfortunately sociologically suicide is a bit contagious sometimes what i do appreciate about um, a lot of groups now in america and some other countries as well is the attempt to move the phrase from committing suicide which i even used here mm-hmm. to completed suicide right. as a not a this is not a moral failing this is just you lost your battle with the disease right um in this portion of the poem, Dante actually speaks to a gentleman named Pierre de Vigna. I may have that totally wrong, and I apologize. Um, this was He was an advisor to Emperor Frederick II mm-hmm. before committing suicide. See, again, it's so common. Um, it's a cultural thing. Finishing his suicide when he fell out of favor in court, like mm-hmm. completing suicide. See, it's just so natural because this is what we've had. Yeah, we've had... We've had hundreds of years of of programming that this is a horrible thing. And I mean, so as I mentioned, this is where I sort of struggle with the book is that it does seem to, it creates this culture of making sins out of things that are very human. Right. And that's frustrating because especially being raised Roman Catholic, I know the power of Catholic guilt. I know the power of Catholic guilt. And feeling that things that are natural are actually sinful. Oh, and we get into that more too, because the very next area is where the blasphemers are. And then it runs into the sodomites, (laughs) which is the 
gross way of saying they were gay. Well, so we don't know that. We don't know. So here's the problem with the term sodomy. Depending on who is defining that word, that can mean a lot of things. Technically, if we're talking about this period of history, sodomy was anything that wasn't missionary with the light cloth. Oh. So realistically, anything was sodomy. Anything that was not sex for procreation was sodomy. Is so, this like when Texas was trying to continue the a ban on sodomy and then they said, well, okay, we we get this, but you, that means you can't also do this with your wives and girlfriends. And then they're like, oh, never mind. I mean, Texas still has an obscenity law with dildos. So, I mean, yeah, sure. We do. Uh, but yeah, like that's the problem with sodomy is that depending on what culture and what era you're talking about, that is actually a very broad definition. Uh, there's actually, if you look at historical paintings during this time, a lot of people that they consider to be sodomites are women. It's not men. That's the idea of tying sodomy to homosexuality is actually fairly recent. Oh, okay. I was not aware of that. <laughs> Amanda, Prince Deviant. Uh, but realistically, I mean, okay, so if we're to take a dip into Amanda's smut corner, yeah, like realistically, any act that was not sex for procreation was a form of sodomy. Gay, straight, whatever. And it was a way, especially, to shame female pleasure. Let's just be frank. I mean, there's a lot of that. Yeah. So, honestly, there was probably some concern about homosexuality in this. At this time period, I gestured very aggressively. Uh, (laughs) The biggest concern was policing female pleasure. What's interesting about this area, too, to me, is that there's a bunch of people there who were violent towards art. (laughs) You've got... (laughs) <laughs> like oh, I'm sorry, you're. I'm just seeing like somebody like going up and going. That is a terrible painting. To hell you go. And I mean, I understand this is more like when you have things like where um, ISIS destroyed all that art in Iraq and things like that. Yes. Um, but it's still very strange to have that be in the area with the blasphemers. Yeah, but I mean, if you think about it again, what are they talking about? They're talking likely about religious art. There wasn't a lot of fan fiction back then. That's true. So, I mean, if you're defacing a painting of God, that is a direct slight against the Lord. That is a direct attack unto the Lord. You are defacing his image and his name. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. You're welcome. (laughs) Uh, Though there is a very, very fun tradition uh, around Easter for the Catholics that we have to cover all of the depictions of Christ. Really? Yeah, because, uh, so especially after the crucifixion, he's dead. So you cover all of the depictions of Christ, and then you uncover them, and usually clean them on Easter Sunday, so then he's bright, shiny, and new. So you have to go through and, like, uh, put, like, cloth over all of the, cru- all the crucifixes and all the statues. And- if we were on the History Channel, you would have a thing that just popped up under your name that says Resident Catholic Historian. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's also mostly just very aggravating to have to, like, climb a stepladder and cover a statue. So, like, we were, for work, we were talking about, like, uh, Catholic rites. And it's like, I completely understand people think that our religion is still pagan. It's very pagan looking. I understand. I have to, t- we have to cover statues so they don't. Like, I get it. I get it. We, we look very witchy. I'm, like, looking up right now, like, going, okay, like, my cross isn't mad at me, right? Well, it's also not Easter, so you're good for now. But, like, yeah, if we were in a church, we'd have to cover that because he's in the tomb. 
So after the blasphemers, Dante and Virgil meet a monster named Garyon, I think it is. He's a giant serpent monster, mm-hmm. and he transports them to the eighth circle known as Malabodge or Evil Pockets, <laughs> which I all I can think of is Lucifer going, thanks, it has pockets, and that's a problem. Does that go back to that comment that I, sh- that I shared yesterday? <laughs> Lucifer and his Gucci gang? No, Lucifer and his Gucci gang, yes. If you haven't seen that, go to our Facebook. It was hilarious. I shared an A-plus meme yesterday. So the first pocket is where the panderers and seducers get whipped, which I think some of them would be kind of into that, but that's neither here nor there. Depends on the whipping instrument. There's probably a cat of nine tails, which hurts a lot. I was like, was there glass attached to it? Anyway. I just um, said a cat of nine tails. I'm going to hell. We're already in hell. That's what this <laughs> is. We're already here, Amanda. The second pocket is where flatterers have to lie face down in human feces. The third is where priests who sold pardons and places in the church, also known as simony, Mm -hmm. hang upside down in baptismal fonts while their feet burn. Yes. Uh, An inversion of several Catholic rites and Christian rites, including baptism, which babies are lightly sprinkled. Uh, There's a lot of discussion between the churches on uh, why some Protestant religions so aggressively dunk their children. I got dunked in the ocean, okay? (laughs) Okay. Okay, so in I, at that time, I was attending Church of Christ. Okay. And what happened was a whole group of us, I think we were like all in our late teens, early 20s, went out to the beach and like in a line got dunked by the pastor. So the worst part is they gave us t-shirts that said got dunked on them. Okay. Uh, so questions here. Yes. Did he have to bless the ocean? Yes, and he had to do the whole blessing over us as okay, before he dunked because us. Because the ocean is just fish semen. So, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, it's, it's, so he blessed the ocean. Listen, he blessed the entire ocean. It's still less dramatic than blessing the rains down in Africa. So I think I hate you more for that. I know. I love it. Uh, okay, but yes, and then also uh, the whole burning of the feet is a reference to the Pentecostal miracle. Where tongues of fire appeared over the disciples and they were told to go preach the word of God. You know how easy that would be to not have to download an app for my phone? I could just be like, oh, I speak Russian now. Yeah, I would also, like, I was always in the camp of, like, religion is scary. It's like, when you talk, like, when I was told that story as a child, I was like, this sounds awful. My favorite part of the Pentecost story is when they're out there and somebody goes, maybe they're drunk and they can't. They're like, they cannot be drunk for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. That's like my favorite part of the Bible because it totally, that these people believe that you cannot be drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. Anyway. I just side-eyed Tori in a way that I feel like is not appropriate considering that I'm trying to stomach this Chianti. It's one fourteen right now. So we're, it's afternoon. It's fine. Be and it's a Saturday. It is. The fourth sir, er, pocket is where diviners and astrologers have to walk with their heads on backwards. Yeah, it's an inversion of the idea that these people can see into the future and that they're actually, like, bad and blind. I just realized that the eighth po- circle is really just a pair of dad's cargo pants. Yeah. Or, like, a, those, like, trip pants. Oh, yeah, when you go out to a rave. And it's 1997? Listen, and you've just seen The Matrix? 1997 was a hell of a year. Wait, didn't... Wait. Was The Matrix out in 99? Was it? I don't know. The fourth one's coming out, supposedly. 
Anyway, so this, is. this fifth pocket is where those who accepted bribes simmer in pitch while demons rip them apart, like you do. That just seems like a waste of pitch. Pitch is actually very hard to make. The sixth. Am I evil? No. <laughs> You'd be like, this is like tarring and feathering, and it's just wasting everybody's time. Yeah. The sixth pocket has hypocrites who have to walk forever in circles wearing lead robes. Someone thinks they're clever. Caiaphas is down there, and that's the Jewish priest who confirmed Jesus' death sentence. Um, he's lying on the ground while others walk all over him. Uh, subtle. Mm. The seventh pouch has a pit of vipers, where thieves become vipers when bitten and then have to bite someone else to turn back into themselves. So, like, really weird reverse vampires with snakes? Yeah. Clever. So... They hit the eighth pocket, and Dante meets Ulysses, the hero from the former Homer epics. Which he had a super hard on for. Yes. He's been doomed to hang out with those who are guilty of spiritual theft because of the Trojan horse incident. Okay. The ninth pouch is for those who sowed scandal and schism and have to walk in a circle while wounds on their bodies open and close repeatedly. That sounds awful. That, that sounds pretty terrible. Uh, I sliced my thumb open last year, and if it's anything like that, I would not want this. Was that the peach cobbler That incident? was the cobbler. The cobbler incident. That was the cobbler incident. So in the 10th pouch, falsifiers suffer from plagues and diseases. Hooray. So basically Roger Stone would be there. Um, we Ma'am. <laughs> we leave the pocket prisons to the ninth circle, and then we get to where things get real. I hope you understand that every time you say pocket, I assume like a hot pocket. <laughs> it's not wrong. Hot pocket. <laughs> like I just imagine. Now we're getting into like where the hot pocket, like when you microwave part of it, but it's still frozen on the inside, so you burn your mouth biting in, but then it's not satisfying because the inside is frozen. Hell, is this a giant hot pocket? Pretty much. What kind of hot pocket? is it? I think it's the ham and cheese hot pocket. I think it would have to be. Yeah, I think oh, the lean pockets, which make you think you're on a diet, they just taste like cardboard. No, I think I think it has to be more indulgent than that because sin is sweet. I think it has to be the garlicky butter ham and cheese hot pocket. I've given this a lot of thought. I have a degree. I would really love someone to illustrate that. Hell, <laughs> as a melty hot pocket. Yes. So Dante and Virgil go through the giant swall, which leads to a frozen lake, mm -hmm. which I'm going to say wrong. Cositis, Cocytus, I don't know. I'm too drunk to correct you. Um, a giant named Anateus picks up Virgil and Dante and puts them into the bottom of the well, which yes. is the lowest part of hell. Ooh. The first circle has those who betrayed their kin frozen up to their necks in the ice. Mm -hmm. The next ring is those who betrayed their country or party and they're frozen up to their heads. Mm -hmm. Dante meets Count Ugliono, who spends all of his time gnawing on the head of the man who imprisoned him when he was alive. Because he was in prison with his two sons and no food and ended up eating his son's corpses after they died. Like a, almost like a tantalus sort of thing. Yes. Yes. Is that the look of I have to explain that? Yeah, probably. God damn it! Uh, so Tantalus was a human in mythology who's like, I'm going to talk to the gods. And he invited the Zeus and party for dinner one night. And then he Hannibal lectured the fuck out of it where he like cooked and served his children to the gods because I don't fucking know. It's a whole dumb Game of Thrones thing and it's stupid. Um, and then Zeus punishes Tantalus by sending him 
to hell, Hades, where he has to, like, be low-key drowning and perpetually near something that can save him, uh, be it branches and or food and stuff, and I forget the word tantalizing and temptation and stuff like that. So, the reason that we have hell and that it goes into the way that it is, according to Dante, is because when Satan fell, he basically took a huge chunk out of the earth and went down into the center of it. So just as a heads up, if your teacher asks. I have a horrible mental image and I hate it. Do I want to know? I don't, we might actually have to cut it out of the podcast. Okay. We'll wait. Okay. okay. So on the outside of this night circle, we mm-hmm. have uh, those who betrayed their guests. They get to lie on their backs in the frozen lake while tears make blocks over their eyes. That's so metal. It is pretty metal. <laughs> It's like something you'd see in Norway. Anyway, oh, yeah. They go into the next part and find those who betrayed their benefactors, that, and they're completely submerged. Yeah. Uh, Dante and Virgil see this huge mist, and when they get up close, they see a three-headed giant Lucifer waist-deep in ice. Yes. His body is piercing the center of the earth from where he fell mm-hmm. um, after Jesus kicked him out of heaven. Mm-hmm. And each of Lucifer's mouths chew on a great sinner. So we've got Judas, which is pretty self-explanatory for Unless about Jesus. Unless you've read the Gospel of Judas. Unless you've read the Gospel of Judas. hashtag did nothing wrong. Um, then there's also Cassius and Brutus, because evidently killing Julius Caesar is just as bad as betraying Christ. I mean, yes, to an Italian. To an Italian. Also, uh, hell is cold because it is far away from God's light and God's love. There you go. That's why it's frozen. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, especially, like, Americans assume that hell is hot because we just think, like, center of the earth. But really, it's much more like a, the void of space. It's very, very cold because it's far from God's love. I'm a horrible person because I just imagined Elsa from the movie Frozen shooting memes into Lucifer's mouth going, let him go, no. let him go, no. and it's a problem. It is a problem. Um, so Virgil and Dante climb down Lucifer, holding onto his frozen hair. They hit the river of Lethe, which is the river of forgetfulness, and travel out of hell back to Earth, emerging on Easter morning just before sunrise. Almost like it's a fucking symbol. It is a fucking symbol. Speaking of symbols. God damn it, we have symbols. So many. So, a lot of the dates in here are important. Monday, Thursday is when everything starts. That's the celebration of the Last Supper. It's about to turn into Good Friday, the remembrance of Christ's crucifixion. And then when there's, there was three days where Christ is crucified and then resurrects on Easter Sunday. Yes. So, Dante's following the same path. Yes. Uh, for Catholics, we call that the Easter Triduum. It's a whole thing that has a lot of really, really cool rituals. If you're Catholic, I do encourage you to go through the Easter Triduum at least once. Um, there's a lot of, like, there's one night where everyone gets a candle, and then all the candles go out, and then you must relight them with a central uh, candle at the top of the altar. And again, we're very, very fucking pagan. We're just so, it's so pagan. We're probably going to miss a lot of symbols, just as a heads up. Are we? Um, because there's so many in here. So the leopard, the lion, and the she-wolf at the very beginning are supposed to represent the three beasts from Jeremiah 5-6 in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It represents the three kinds of sin that bring the unrepentant soul to hell. They represent a lack of moderation, especially when it comes to sex, violence, or fraud. Um, and experts argue over which one represents which, because different cultures assign different meanings to each of those animals. Yeah, it's a bit of a 
for a Babylon scenario, we're not really sure what it means what anymore. So we've got some information for you too that doesn't necessarily tie in. <laughs> That's our entire podcast. We have some information for you. A contrapasso is basically a fair punishment for the path chosen. So it's sinners getting poetic justice for the crimes they committed in life, which right. is all of these circles. Americans would bastardize that as karma. Yes. There is a lot in here about greed, wickedness, and popes, especially with the whole simony aspect of pay to play. Um, Pope Celestine V is listed in here. We kind of went over him already. Mm-hmm. But what you don't know is Cardinal Bernardo Ganetti, I guess is how you say it. I don't speak Italian. I really should. You did fine. Okay. He was pissed that Celestine V was chosen. And so basically what he started doing is going up and saying, hey, you know, I know this isn't your thing and that you really hate all these like cool riches of office. And I think it would be really cool if you just stepped down and like gave up the title. What do you think? You think that would be cool? And Pope Celestine V was like, yeah, no, screw this. I don't want to be here. I want to go back to my mountain and live with my folks because that was way better. And so he steps down, and then Gennetti steps up and becomes Pope Boniface VIII, and is a total dick. Yes. Total dick. He insulted Catholicism pretty often. Um, It's weird that he wanted to be Pope at all, other than the sheer amount of power and land that came with being the Pope at the time, because a lot of bad people that became Popes... And this is hard to say because I know that a lot of Catholicism is that the Pope is infallible, but I'm a Lutheran. So mm. um, a lot of the, the worst Popes were there more for the power and to get the land and the title that came with it because it was a pretty nice life. Yeah. So, And this is not every Pope. I need to throw that out there. This is not every Pope. Okay. So I'm going to Game of Thrones this right now. Okay. Think of this more as a scenario that this just sort of, the position of Pope reveals who you are. So if you are already a truly pious person, you're just going to be more pious. If you're already a corrupt dickhead, you're just going to do that thing more. Like, it, it doesn't matter who's on the Iron Throne or on the Papal Throne. Like, it doesn't matter. It's like, it's what that person's going to do with the ability to be the truest version of themselves. Uh, we could have an entire other podcast on bad popes. There's a really good book called Bad Popes, which you should read. Yeah, uh, and some that have sullied the name of the Vatican, including acts that are known as, like, the Joust of Whores and stuff like that. Like, there are bad things that happened in the church. And as a Catholic, uh, I I think that a lot of us do struggle with that legacy. Because here's the thing, most Catholics don't necessarily think the Pope is infallible. They think the current Pope is infallible. So, like, uh, Francis is our current. He's doing okay. Now we can talk shit about Benedict, who looked like Chancellor Palpatine. Yes. I call him Pope Palpatine. Right. And well, for that, I'm probably going to the heretic circle. But. And then we also have this notion of, like, an anti-pope. And an anti-pope, which you got to hear me describe when we went to the Funeral History Museum, uh, is basically just, it's almost like an anti-Christ, but an anti-pope. Uh, comes from this history of schism and multiple people saying that they're the Pope and wanting to wear the Pope hat and being the Pope. Um, it becomes like this careful, easy shorthand of just saying, well, that bad Pope was an anti-Pope. 
rather than facing the fact that realistically most of our popes have been bad and all of them for different reasons because even as of right now to get really fucking topical francis has done nothing about the sexual assault crisis that started decades ago and he could he does have the power he chooses not to and he hides behind this idea that well it's an issue of the cardinals well you're the cardinal of cardinals (laughs) you're you're the pope you could do something about it and he won't a lot of the backstory especially for things that kind of come into american politics which is interesting because you know we don't tax the clergy um this actually came from pope boniface the eighth he wrote a palpable and one was called and i'm terrible because i don't speak latin either what is it clerics lycos he banned the yes. government from taxing the clergy. Yes. So that has actually crossed over into the United States. We don't tax churches. Nope. Um, he also passed Unum Sanctum, which gave the, po- the power over all of Christendom. Yes. So basically, I rule all of this. Yes. Um, the unfortunate thing is he made a lot of pacts with rulers that were really obviously for his own personal gain. Right. Um, so don't feel bad about having uncomfortable feelings about popes. There were some bad popes. There, we've had a lot of bad popes, and realistically, even the ones that were good did bad things. Part of the human condition. Yeah, but also, again, like when you have power like that, and when you have a legacy that is as complicated, especially as Roman Catholicism, Roman Catholicism is such a complex notion. And I think everyone is so aware of the irony and frankly, the hypocrisy of it. The idea that someone who was meant to be the ambassador of Christ on earth lives in a fucking castle in Italy and doesn't speak to anyone and is basically king of his own land. And he gets to ride in a really cool Mercedes vehicle that has... Sometimes it's a Jeep. Yes. Protective windows. But... Yeah. Like, the fact that we have all of those things is such a blatant hypocrisy. And I think everyone's aware of it. So some things to remember that at this time period, Rome was an absolute shit show. Um, The Jubilee of 1300 was when a huge number of Christians came to the city to celebrate the centennial of the birth of Christ, which their time is a little off, but whatever. Um, When Dante was in the middle of the spectacle, he was still aware that the church was literally raking money in from it. Yeah. Like people would throw it onto this tomb and then they would take literal rakes and pull the money away. Um, during the Jubilee, many women were raped by people associated with the church and travel was extremely dangerous. Mm-hmm. Dante's image of people walking across the bridge into hell, he took from a mental image he had of these pilgrims who were crossing into Rome. Yes. So, that's pretty horrifying if you think about it. You're going on this great epic pilgrimage to truly show your devotion to your beliefs and you have to face getting robbed or beaten or raped. Like, that's pretty awful. Yeah, I had that fear a little bit when I went to Vatican City. Um, writing is catharsis. We kind of refer to this as Dante's fan fiction. Yeah, and we're not wrong. Like, we're not just being pejorative when we say that. Like, this really is him working out a few uh, kinks, per se. What's really interesting is just the ways that he tears apart people that he didn't like or helps get him banished. Right. So, that's fun. But also, like, like, 
I think this goes in this catharsis as well, but, like, writing as a means of, like, social, like, just, I don't even want to call it commentary, but, like, social expectation, social dogma, because, again, like, when you think about, like, how he orients all of these sins and all these things, because if you look like the original list that Pope Gregory gives you of, like, the loose seven deadly or, like, everything like that, he puts them in a different order. Dante puts them in an order that very much reflects this current time period. That's why he puts the prideful uh, in a different place than Pope Gregory did, because Gregory actually put pride as the most deadly of sins, the sin that kills. Angels fall through pride. And Dante shifted it around a little. What I thought was interesting is that lust is not that big of a deal in his circle. It's like, okay, well, the first one. It's unfortunate, yeah. It's unfortunate. Because... A lot of people committed that sin fairly often. Right. But also, again, like, look at who the object of lust is often for him. Like, it's very male-driven. So him getting a boner and wanting to fuck someone is fine, but female pleasure is bad and devious and should be stopped because otherwise they'll start getting ideas and want to do a matriarchy. I mean, I still do. Anyway, so there's a lot in here of Power of Three. Um, you see a lot of this with the Trinity and... Mm-hmm. The Christian religion. Um, Satan has three faces. There are three representations of betrayal that he's eating. Um, there are three major sin types. There's three heads on Cerberus. We can just kind of keep going on that. Yeah. Um, so something to keep a, an eye out for. There's also a lot of, as we were talking about, social discussion mm-hmm. in the guise of biblical ideas. Yeah, like it's really it's reinforcing the Bible and sin and dogma to help inform your social order. So when people talk about, like, America being a Christian country and being found in Christian values, like, <laughs> <I>, yeah. <laughs> it, did, did they get that message in Jamestown? Yes, they did. Did they? No, they didn't. That's the problem. Like, so that's when they talk about It's like, so, yeah, realistically, I don't think that any of us need the Ten Commandments to say don't go around murdering people. But there's a great concern that we do. And it's just, it's a lot. Because, like, again, just how he orders things. Like, what how he gives a pass to some sins and others don't get a pass. Like, envy being in the place that it is, I think is hilarious. Like, the sense that envy is, is so just chill and whatever. But when you think about Dante as a human, yeah, it's probably where he is. I well, mean, if can... I was describing my own hell, I would probably be like, there's not that many math problems. Yeah. Oh, social commentary. So, just some notes on the text. Mm -hmm. Um, Dante basically finished this on his deathbed. Yes. This has become the most commonly imagined world of hell. Yes. Um, At this time, like I was saying, Florence was one big toilet. Um, I said shit show, but in all honesty, people were dumping their waste into the streets. In all fairness, England was no better. No, England was no better. That was just kind of what she did. Um, wine was the drink of choice because regular drinking water often became infested with disgusting stuff and people got sick. People didn't have germ theory, so a great deal of belief was that illness was from witchcraft or sinfulness. Or miasma. Or miasma. Um, if you were excommunicated, you weren't just removed from the church, you were removed from society because they were completely interwoven. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why a lot of these bad popes had a lot of power. Those bad popes. Um, Men of wealth were not expected to be loyal to their wives. Nope. 
they were expected to be in a political marriage arrangement and then cheat whenever they felt like it. But women didn't have this option. But uh, if they did, their bastard children often rose to high positions within their father's influence. Not their mother's influence, unless you were that one lady who kind of controlled everything. But Oh, are you talking like Borgia nonsense? Some Borgia nonsense. Borgia nonsense! Uh, Virgil was considered to be as influential as a biblical feature at, or figure at this time. Um, it makes it way less strange that he's Dante's guide, especially since Dante absolutely loved Virgil. Yeah, there was a bit of a weird relationship that people had with, like, the old ways of things. There was a weird romanticization of it, but also, like, these guys weren't Christians, what did we do? So, I refer to Dante kind of as, and I'm going to get smacked for this, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character from 500 Days of Summer in this, because with Beatrice, he only really talked to her a couple times. And she got married off to another family, and then she eventually d- died from disease in 1290. But, like, the whole time, Dante was like, yeah, but she really loves me. Like, we're, we're soulmates. We're meant to be together. I've never seen that movie, and everything I've heard about it sounds awful. It, it's not something you could make now. Praise be. <laughs> um, so, this work is obviously very impactful. It's still something that continues on. We still have classes about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the work really took the Pope Gregory sins and made them the seven deadly sins and made them really obvious to people. Right. Like this is truly the most fleshed out version of the seven deadly sins that we have. And if you are into pop culture, like I am, uh, it's a huge thread that we talk about on a regular basis. And this is what codified that notion of it's, it's fascinating to think that this wasn't always the case because you're right. Like you would imagine that this exists in the Bible. It's not, there's not in the Bible anywhere. And even if you listen to like the actual Bible and how Jesus describes sin, they're all just bad. The idea of ranking them doesn't make any sense. It's sin. It's all bad. Yeah. It's not like a special poll where you take it online and you're like, Oh, I'm this one. It's okay. That's not that bad. Right. Or even like a relevatory, uh, discussion about it because i know so how i kind of fell into really care of the seven deadly sins is when i took latin into like the anime full metal alchemist where they're the antagonist or the seven deadly sins and almost like reveling in what sin you pair off with like who your allegiance goes to is fascinating so the church states that committing one of the seven deadly sins is as simple as thinking about it yes it is which Please enjoy that, listeners. I'm sure that we all are dental. <laughs> so you were saying that when you were younger and you were doing confession, so you do it a certain way. Yeah. So as I've mentioned a plethora of times, I was raised Roman Catholic, and I did have to go through a fair amount of confessions. Around like 15 or 16, I would just give the priest a list. <laughs> like these are the sins that I've committed. And then I would get my penance, which usually almost always seemed very light. Say a couple Hail Marys. Yeah, literally. And get out of here. Yeah, I think I had to do like three Hail Marys and two Hail Holy Queens. And like I gave a list that checked off every of the seven deadly sins. Wait, you were murdering people? Well, I had wrath. Wrath doesn't necessarily mean murder, it just means anger. Okay. It doesn't, it doesn't, that's the logical conclusion, but I did have a lot of anger in me. I can see that. Yeah, so. Understandably so. You just give a list to the priest. Uh, Unless you have to talk to, like, a robed priest, like, the ones that are usually take a vow of silence, 
they're very scary and they don't always speak English. Yo, yeah, like sometimes because our church was pretty big in the diocese, we'd have like different priests from different parishes and different uh, backgrounds come in. If you can, uh, usually try to have your confession taken by either a Jesuit or a Franciscan. They will judge you, but quietly. I mean, that's what we do for each other daily. Judge each other quietly. Oh, I was like, which one of us is the Jesuit? Which one is the Franciscan? I don't know. I don't put ash on my food, so. I certainly don't either. <laughs> one of my proudest moments, though, was uh, I was doing a Latin competition with my school, my Catholic school, and I beat the Jesuit school to a question. And that was, like, one of the proudest moments of my life that I, like, buzzed in faster on a Latin question. Sin of pride. Sin of pride. Yes! Obviously! Uh, fun fact, if you are an anime fan and you know the reference I'm talking about with Full Metal Alchemist, uh, the two sins I attached to are greed and envy. So here's some notes about Dante. He was an asshole. He was kind of an asshole. Um, sorry. He was born around May 30th, 1265. There's a couple dates that get thrown out there. Yes. Uh, to Bella and Bellicone di Alighieri in Florence. His mom had a dream that she delivered her son in a green meadow by the mouth of a crystal spring beneath the mount of a laurel tree. And evidently the kid ate poetry berries, became a shepherd, tripped and fell and turned into a peacock. I don't know what she was eating, but it sounds like it was fun. I would one day strive to be that high. <laughs> Dante's father was a notary, so he had some small connections. His mom's fan had, family had been banned from Florence for their ancestors' quote treacherous deeds. All right. But his mom was distant enough of a relation that she could still hang out in Florence. Oh, that's lovely. So Dante met Beatrice or Beatrizia or Beatra. There's a whole thing anyway. That lady from Kill Bill. Yes, Beatrix Kiddo. Um, when he was a young kid, she was the daughter of a really wealthy man, and so he kind of was like, "Oh, she's pretty. I like her. I'm, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna hook up with that." And it didn't happen anyway. Mm-hmm. Dante's mom died in 1277. His dad remarried, and his new stepmom put out a bunch of half siblings. Um, they sent Dante to Bologna for university. Yep. Dante married Gemma Donati, who he had been ga- engaged to for a long time. They had a bunch of kids. They had Jacobo, Beatrice, haha, Piet, Pietro, or Pietro, and possibly Giovanni, who might have arrived before their marriage contract was signed. But I have said that one of them is Pietro. Um, in about 1290, Dante went into politics. Florence politics at the time were really insane. So, with all due respect, my lack of Italian history degree, suffice it to say, it was a mess. Yeah. And we would literally need a whole other podcast to explain it. Right. So if you haven't checked this one off your box yet, you should just have, like, three checks. Black on. it out. Just black it out. And then realistically, when we say we went into politics, it wasn't like he went in to be, like, president. No. He was trying to be, like, head of an HOA or something. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. He went from, like... pretty low-level politics. He basically went from guild to ambassador to dispute manager, which right. is basically running an HOA. Um, I know what I'm talking about sometimes. So I really enjoyed the fact that Dante's work was translated into English later on, mostly by Dante Gabriel Rossetti of the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood. He was named after the man himself, so that made a lot of sense. And it's actually talk about more Gabriel stuff. Dante Rossetti, mm-hmm. but his dad was also a Gabriel, so he swapped it. I had a huge crush on him. I look a little bit like Lizzie Siddle, or I did when I was about 50 pounds lighter. Um, Every once awkward. in a while, I've become very aware that Tori will leave things in so that she gets to rant about something. Yes, constantly. And 
this is where I'm aware that. <laughs> Don't look at my shelf at all the pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood books. Anyway. And I've seen. So did we have to study this in school? You first. Yes. I took a really awesome class at UCI called To Hell with Dante with Professor Chompy. That does not so, sound real. He's real. Um, I missed that class very much. It was basically the delight of my week. Um, yes, this was my final project when I was in uh, Latin as a youth. Additionally, I was a giant nerd, and I was raised Catholic, so we had to kind of go over this stuff. It's like required Catholic reading. Unfortunately required reading? Uh, okay, anyway. Um, there are a lot of resources for this. I yes. will probably end up putting more into the website than normal. Uh, we have Dante for Beginners. Yes. Wikipedia. Sparknotes. The History Channel's Seven Deadly Sins. Which is a really good series. Really good. Did you finish it? I did finish it. Yeah. Uh, it's a really, really good series. I don't like the parts where it gets evangelical, though. It does. It has a tendency to get a little preachy. So. I discovered uh, this minister called Ed Chiarelli, who is a priest, and there's a clip on him where he's, like, exercising, in air quotes, oral sex demon, and it's the funniest thing on the internet that I've ever seen. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'll send you the clip. Could we not, though? Could we not? It is one of the funniest things I've seen on the internet. Uh, but it's also terrible. And we also reference the Apocrypha because yes. I love the Apocrypha. It's now, really entertaining. It, I just had to get past some of the literature, or not the literature, the language, just because I was like, okay. So which circle are we in? Are we in? I've always said... As far as I'm concerned, I'm either in the circle with the slothful or I'm in the circle with the envious. I would really, really, really like to be in the uh, circle with the uh, righteous pagans. Okay. I don't well, you're I'm, Lutheran, so you yeah, would be. I don't think I'm, I'm good enough uh, to be there, but I would like to pretend that I am. Okay. Because I think I would like to be fist bumping like Cicero and shit. Anyway. Would he talk to you? No. No. He would look at me like I was crazy. That's okay. An aside. That's always something that drives me crazy about when you have like these like insert fiction stories. Like, what would you do if you went back in time? Like, I'm a black queer. Nothing. I'd be stoned to death. Like, like, nothing. I would not. If you could travel back in time anywhere, like, no. I would like to go nowhere. Thank you. Dante would probably be like, why are you talking to me? Why are you wearing pants? So he has, in all of his depictions, this really giant nose. So this is kind of just stuff at the end for you to know. Um, and it's really uncomfortable. But, like, my brain likes to translate Dante into Jeff Goldblum, which is really funny when you're reading this and trying to read it as Jeff Goldblum. Okay. So you're like, abandon all hope ye who enter here. So I cannot convey to you all the look of disappointment that I just gave you. It was amazing. Because I thought she was going to go into the point of depictions of Roman and Florentine noses, and she didn't. And she decided to make this about Jeff Goldblum. So I'm going to make this about Roman noses and Florentine noses. Because it's a thing, and if you ever want to get on Classics Twitter, it is a whole fight. Classics Twitter is brilliant, by the way. I love Classics Twitter. I, it's just phenomenal. But, uh, yes, yeah, so Dante is often depicted with a Roman nose, which is not the same as a Florentine nose, and there is much, much fighting about it. Um, but we, you made this about Jeff Goldblum. I make everything about Jeff Goldblum. Um, there is also classic summarized by the overtly sarcastic group, um, Course Hero, Dante's Inferno. I'll post those up, too. Hooray. Those are if you're looking for something a little more serious. Well, I guess overly sarcastic is not, but they're lovely. 
Yeah, they're fun. Um, so our next book is Romeo and Juliet. Who is not looking forward to this one? Cheers. Cheers. But I mean, we're still in Italy, right? Yeah. Yeah. We are. Um, if you want to find us on social media, we're at Unfortunately Required Reading on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately RR on Twitter. Unfortunately Required on Instagram, where you can see all of our wine and cheese options. Yes. And our website, unfortunatelyrequiredreading.com, which is probably going to be the easiest place to get everything that we've referenced. Now, before we get ahead of ourselves, which house is Dante in? God. Is I don't know. A, is he a Slytherin with us? I don't think he's a Slytherin. Do you think he's a Ravenclaw? I think he wants to be a Slytherin, but I don't think he's that good at politics. I think he <sighs> thought he was. I kind of feel like he's a Gryffindor. Oh, no. Absolutely not. No? Not an... In which of the Queen's Dominion? <laughs> I'm going to go out and do this thing, and I'm also going to make everyone else feel bad because I'm Harry Potter. Okay, yeah, he's a Gryffindor. <laughs> Found to be slut-shamed by a man, then I guess it is. Fine, <laughs> Gryffindor. If you want to debate our decision, please email us at unfortunatelyrequiredreading at gmail.com. I am still angry about Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> We did a poll about Hemingway, just for those of you who didn't see it on Facebook, and it was determined that he was a Slytherin. But by a narrow margin. Very narrow margin. Um, We love you. Thank you for listening to us and our wild ramblings. Now, please, go read a book.